This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment. Tallman Equipment prides itself in having more linemen tools in stock than anyone else. And now, when you're shopping online at tallmanequipment.com, look for the truck logo that says Fast Ship on hundreds of items on their website. That logo means that item is in stock and ready to ship the same day in most cases. When it comes to getting the tools and equipment linemen need, trust Tallman. Line 11 Clothing Company, making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. The proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line 11 Clothing on Instagram. And finally, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Hello and welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast. This podcast was created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. Today's guest is Ken Evans. He is the executive director and co-founder of Manhood Journey podcast, and he's appeared on television, radio, and web outlets alike. He's spoken at parenting and men's events, and he's authored two books. He is also a past guest on our show. So if you haven't listened to that episode, Challenges Dad Face, check it out. I highly recommend it. It's on all podcast platforms. Welcome to the show, Kent. Hey, welcome. Thanks, David. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely, brother. Well, I I wanted to bring you on here again. Uh, A lot of stuff's changed. Uh, You guys have just put out this new book called Bring Your Hammer, right? And that's why I brought you on here to talk about it. And, uh, I just want you to just go ahead and open up with it, brother. Like, tell us about what's going on. Yeah. So about maybe, I don't know, three or four years ago, I was reading through the book of Nehemiah. And Mm -hmm. there's that part of your brain that if you go by like a red car, you all of a sudden start noticing all the red cars. You know, it's your reticular activating system. And so the last 10, 12 years, I've been involved in the fatherhood ministry world. So every time I see something or read something, I'm seeing like... Uh, pictures of fathers in my mind <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's like the red car effect. And so uh, as I was reading through the book of Nehemiah, I just kept noticing all these lessons from the life of Nehemiah that seemed to be really directly applicable to uh, fatherhood, mm-hmm. that dads could learn a ton from this guy, Nehemiah, who we don't even know was like a dad. Like there's nothing in the book of Nehemiah that suggests he was a father, um, but he was like God the father. So I wrote down all these ideas, lessons that were jumping out at me. And then I wrote a few chapters of the book and it Mm -hmm. stalled for like a year until I asked a friend of mine, Eric Ballard, who lives in uh, Houston. I said, hey, Mm -hmm. man, would you like to co-author this book with me? Because I'm kind of stuck. And he jumped in and said, sure. So we split the work and got it done. And so it's a book of 28 different lessons that dads Mm -hmm. can grab from the book of Nehemiah. That's amazing. One of the things that I liked about Nehemiah, right, for our listeners who some of them are believers, some of them are not. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Can you elaborate and tell our audience a little bit what the importance of a cupbearer and what he did and his title was and stuff like that? Yeah, so this would have been about 450 BC, so about 450 years before Jesus was born uh, mm-hmm. in in uh, the Middle East, basically. You have this city called Susa, which would be now in modern-day Iraq, and mm-hmm. there was a king, Artaxerxes, and kings would always have these servants around them, one of which his job was to make sure that two things were true about the food and the drink the king uh, received. One was that it was poison-free because mm-hmm. every now and then kings might, someone might try to poison the king. Uh, but secondly, that it would all be to his liking. So the king could have a servant go, you know, I want it just so hot or I want my wine to taste just a certain way. And so those people were called cupbearers. And the important thing about a cupbearer is their job was really important. Obviously, Mm -hmm. their life of the king hung in the balance, but the king trusted them. So if the cupbearer brought something to the king and said, hey, this is what you want. This is to your liking. And I have made sure that it is, you know, uh, problem free and poison free. Mm -hmm. uh, The king trusted these guys very well. So Nehemiah was in and out of the king's presence all the time. But this was a foreign king. Nehemiah was historically from the nation of Israel, and he was relocated on of not of his own free will through some conquering and stuff so he was serving mm-hmm. a foreign king but he was a trusted guy inside the king's inner circle 
Wow. Yeah, that's that's crazy to see that this guy was basically held against his own volition, right? Early on, for sure. <laughs> Early yeah. on, and to where he was able to build up to gain that trust. Because obviously, not too many people are going to be walking day and, and night before the king, like you said, right? Right. So he had that trust. And in order to gain that trust, you have to spend a lot of times, a lot of time with that king. Kind of like with us and our kids, you know, in order to gain trust, what I've learned with my daughter is I have to spend time with them. Absolutely. It's that quality time, you know? So I, I think that that's pretty interesting that you said that, you know, building that trust through that time. Nehemiah must've had great character. He must've been a guy who was, you know, on time and did what he said he was going to do and all that stuff mm -hmm. to have earned the right uh, to have the King's trust. And, and in a very similar way, like you say, with our own children or our wives, trust is built over time. And mm -hmm. so, you don't build trust overnight. And so Nehemiah had clearly done a good job of that. Well, even let's take it a step further. Like, I like what you said, like he was on time. Okay. How many, how many of us men work at these jobs to where that's like one of the number one priorities is being on time. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, what's interesting. I heard a guy say for the guys listening for a dad listening out there, who's uh -huh. in a job where, he, he maybe wants the next job or he wants promoted or he wants to get a raise. Uh, I heard a piece, a great piece of career advice mm -hmm. years ago from one of my bosses. And he said, Kent, you need to start acting like you've got the next job above you before mm -hmm. your boss will give it to you. The, the actions precede the promotion. Mm. Uh, and so if you want to be a director or a manager or vice president or whatever your next step in the company might be, start behaving like one. And then you're going to find six months or a year down the road. That's when that job gets offered to you. Behavior precedes the promotion, which was great advice. And so just simple stuff, man, like coming in on time. Heck, if you if you come in just a few minutes early, mm -hmm. you know, you, you always you find your boss may have an extra five minutes and you get that that question answered or you learn that thing or whatever. And so it's kind of funny. I'm sure Nehemiah was probably a, a workplace stud, man. He probably did his job really well. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, he's, he's gained the trust of the King, you know what I mean? So that's, that's a feat on itself. Um, when I was reading your book, Kent, there was some stuff that I saw that was new to me that I had never seen it. And one of the things you said in here was a Chinese proverb, right? And that proverb states, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Before we can ever reach anything God has called us to, we first have to decide to go. So it all starts in the mind and our decision. So what I took from that portion of your book was that we have to have it in our head. We have to have a plan as men, you know what I mean? In which way our family should go. You know, there's a, a saying in the Bible that says my without vision, let's see how, how they say it, how I can put it in better terms. Um, something about vision, not, not having vision, you know, my people yeah. suffer for lack of knowledge. And I, I, yeah. I kind of attest that to like vision, I guess, yeah. you know what I mean? Not having a vision. Yeah. Where there, where there's no vision, where there's no guidance, the people mm -hmm. perish. Yes. Uh, yes. The people go astray. Uh, and you're exactly right. What's interesting about that, David, is uh -huh. um, a lot of the, the timeline of the Bible is you kind of got to piece it together from various sources. Mm -hmm. But in but in the book of Nehemiah, they, uh, the author gives us two very specific dates. Uh, it says in the month of and it tells us a month name in the year of the king and mm -hmm. it says in the month of in the year of the king again same year of the king so you know exactly how far apart chapters one and two are in the book of nehemiah it's about mm -hmm. five months about five months and what's interesting about having that plan and that vision is that's the amount of time from when nehemiah learned some bad news until he had kind of his day in court with the king so to speak mm -hmm. and over those four or five months he built a plan like he knew exactly what he needed in order to go solve the problem that had been brought to his attention. And so for a lot of us dads, the lessons are just, there's like 20 lessons in the first two chapters. It's like be yeah. thinking ahead, be ready. He confessed, he prayed, he was, he was um, humble. Uh, he had earned the respect of the King, all that stuff combined together. And in about a four or five month period, Nehemiah went from problem to idea for how to solve it. And he had done his homework big time. Mm, mm. Yes, you know, for sure. 
you have to put a lot of thought and effort into it. Even like, um, and I always use my daughter as an example because that's the one who like, it's, it's crazy. Cause your first daughter or your first son, right? Whatever your firstborn was, it was a, an exper uh, an experiment. Cause we really didn't know, you know what I mean? Like the way sure. I treated my daughter oh, yeah. versus my, my last son, my baby are completely different. So now I'm doing the, putting in the work, creating that plan to be able to erase some of the stuff I did in her life. You know what I mean? That were detrimental. Oh, right. So I always use her as an example, but uh, definitely having that plan and, and seeing how you can give her options or her or him options or whatever it may right. be. You know what I mean? You got to have those options and that takes planning that you can't just wing it. You know what I mean? You can't <laughs> sit there and be like, yeah, it looks good for my house. Let's go. You know what I mean? It, it actually takes thought and process, right? I did tell my oldest son who's now 22 and married. And I remember several times telling him, Hey man, you're the first 13 year old I've ever raised. You're the first 16 year old I've ever raised. You're the first mm. 18 year old. You know, like, since he was the oldest, I, I told him often, you know, I am figuring this out on the job. Like this mm -hmm. is uh, on the job training big time. Not that I've figured it all out and now it's, e it's perfect. Uh, I think you're still experimenting because all of your kids are different. So each of your children has a unique parenting uh, approach that you probably need. But still, it was, it was uh, at, at times it was entertaining and at times it was super frustrating to be figuring it out uh, while, uh, but I, I let him know, hey, you're the guinea pig, man. You're the guinea pig. In fact, what's funny is in ancient Israel, the oldest used to get a double portion of of the um, of the inheritance. Mm -hmm. So when the dad would leave, he would give twice as much to the oldest. Uh, and now I think the reason why is because that's the one we experiment on. <laughs> so they, <laughs> they, they earned some extra inheritance because, you know, school of hard knocks. Sorry, kid. You were the first. Yeah, let me make up for it, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Man, that that's awesome, man. Because it's so true. I mean, we we do not know what we're doing with that firstborn kid at all, and um, they definitely go through it. So yeah, I could see where the the double portion would be helpful. You know what I mean? Um, I was looking at the portion of your book where it said risk management, right? And it says, as we mature, we become wiser. We recognize and understand the consequences of danger more fully. We also have more to lose as we get older which means the stakes are higher. Can you elaborate on that, brother? Man, I think one of the things about Nehemiah that mm -hmm. was interesting is he had this cushy job, right. he had the ear of the king, had probably anything he wanted. He was probably treated like royalty semi himself. He probably mm -hmm. stayed in a great place. So he had all the comfort and all the trappings of not having to worry about any problems outside of his immediate environment. But then his mm -hmm. brother comes and visits him at the castle basically at the headquarters mm -hmm. and he says hey bro how's it going back home and he says bad man bad and so he describes what's going on in jerusalem and nehemiah is heartbroken and that's when nehemiah goes into action eventually we see nehemiah leave the the kingdom mm -hmm. with the permission of the king and go to this place to rebuild the wall but then he governs for like 12 years he governs at jerusalem for a long time as like mm -hmm. the mayor the governor all that to say Nehemiah had to risk all of that comfort. He had to take all that comfort and set it aside and go step into this place where, you know, victory was not guaranteed and enemies awaited and even his own people at times. He's mm -hmm. dragging people by their hair out of, you know, the storehouses. And like he was, he had internal drama, he had external drama, and he stepped into that environment. And I think his dad sometimes. We get into like a groove, whether mm -hmm. the groove is in our marriage or the groove is in how we're raising our kids or the groove is in our job. And we just stop taking any risks at all. Mm. We, we don't take risks with our wife and telling her something important or how we feel or 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 even trying a new adventure. Um, we don't take risks with our children. We just try to get them out of the house and get them to their 18 and get them on their own, you know, and we stop taking risks. We stop taking risks in our jobs where we just say, well, you know, I'm making X and if I jump over to this, I don't know what I'm going to be making and, uh, or moving physically, like you moved mm -hmm. your family, uh, you know, quite a distance and that can be pretty risky. And sometimes mm -hmm. we have so much to, we feel like we have so much to lose. We stop taking risks and that, that really limits, I think, uh, often what all God can do in our life. If we're going to become totally risk averse mm -hmm. and we, we may not be out kind of on the edge of our faith and relying on God very much. 
No, for sure. For sure. I can see that. Cause even in my marriage myself, um, I got complacent. I finally hired on to a utility, which I thought was like, you know, after working on the road, I was like, I had told my wife I'd made a promise. I made an interval telling her, you know, I'm going to get work at a utility so I can work here and then you can go to school. Right. And once I got there, I got complacent. Like you said, I stopped taking risks and I literally died. Literally. Like it was like my wife saw a difference in me and everything. I was unhappy completely because I wasn't being challenged. I wasn't growing. Right. And I think a lot of times, man, we get comfortable. You get comfortable. You stop trying in your marriage and everything. One of the things I always heard was how you obtained your wife is how you're going to keep your wife. Mm, wow. Yeah. So, you know, for a lot of us with our own spouses, our kids, you know what I mean? That passion dies because we get complacent. It's like, okay, we conquered this. I don't got to try anymore. And I think that's a danger. You know what I mean? I, I like that in Nehemiah, you're able to point that out that you got to step out of that comfort zone and get into that stretching, you know, get into that pain a little bit, get out there and see what's going on. You know, we yeah. get so comfortable in our little bubble, our own little world. Well, we don't care about what anybody else is doing. We don't care about what's going on out there. You know, as long as I'm comfortable in my home, my house, we're good, you know, yeah. and and one of the tough things about fatherhood is as soon as you get comfortable in one phase, mm -hmm. then it changes, right? So as soon as you get comfortable managing the little baby years and you're changing diapers and you keep them out of the street and they get in the stroller and you know, you're doing all the things when they're little bitty, then all of a sudden they do this thing called walking, which is a major problem because now they can go anywhere they want. And then, then they do this thing at five or six where they start having opinions and their own mm -hmm. thoughts about the world. And then when they're 12 and 13, they have these things called friends and cell phones. And you know, as you just go through their, their life curve, you're constantly being sort of rechallenged mm -hmm. with with new sets of problems and the dads who seem to really thrive and and enjoy fatherhood and and enjoy their families are the ones who go all right you know we're going to we're going to embrace a new day here and I'm going to learn how to parent a teenager for the first time or I'm going to learn how to parent a child who seems to have you know access to outside influences for the first time and so as we go through those processes Mm -hmm. The dads who seem to thrive do lean into those challenges and they're not afraid of the risks. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. Yes. Taking that risk head on. Um, one of the things I also saw about that too, about risks, right? Cause there's good and bad risks, right? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, you Especially, have these, you know, in your line of work, sometimes in your line of work, like bad risks are the ones that kill you. Like it's the, the downside is not just, you may have a bad day at the office. It just, in your line of work, it could be the last day at the office. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, that's exactly where I was going with that is, you know, there's, there's a difference. You got to have that wisdom to be able to, to know about these risks, right? Um, obviously you don't want to cut corners because you want to get home earlier, you know, cause now you got to weigh those risks and be like, is it really worth it? And how is it going to affect my loved ones? Cause I think a lot of times as men, we take risks out of ego, out of, out of pride, whatever it may be, right. Laziness sometimes, um, you know, not wanting to go up there and put on an extra piece of cover, you know, mm. for, for a difference of potential, whatever it may be, you know what I mean? Oh, we can get it done without doing that. And we take that risk and then we don't calculate what bad could happen. Mm. We don't calculate that risk. We don't calculate and say, hey, man, if this happens to me, how is it really going to affect my family? I think if more men would step back and be like, okay, if I take this risk and if it goes bad, I get hurt. Now I can't provide for my family. Now my kids are going to grow up without a roof over their head or whatever it may be. You know, I might get fired. I might not, you know, because now it's now you're taking a risk. So the company is going to look at it in a sense that, okay, well, this guy knew that you're not supposed to do that. He broke a rule. So now we don't got to pay him anything. Right. And that sucks. And and that's, that's, that's the truth. That's, that's life. That's, that's what's happened to a lot of men out there. You know what I mean? Who have taken these risks. It's like, well, I got hurt on the job. Well, guess what? You willfully disobeyed a direct <laughs> you know, order here. Right. You know, and now they're like, oh, well, don't I get paid? No, you don't get paid. In fact, you're fired and you're banned and bye, you know? Right. And there's a big difference to your point about following the risks that God asks us to follow versus following the risks that are just pride and ego based. Mm -hmm. um, and, and usually those aren't all that hard to spot, you know, mm -hmm. like it. It doesn't take a PhD rocket scientist genius to figure out 
what some of those are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's healthy risk and there's unhealthy risk. And certainly the kind that Nehemiah took was, uh, was the healthy kind, the kind where he was stepping in to solve a problem that he knew God asked him to help solve. So definitely, yeah, I, I get that. I could see that. If a risk only provides a momentary reward and only for me, is it worth taking? That's right. something we need to ask ourselves. Right. You know, no, that, that's, that's, that's super solid. Um, what I liked about Nehemiah, Kent, was that here's this guy, right? Totally changed his career. He went from a life of comfort right to now he's a working man he's a blue collar guy okay he's having to step into something that he knows nothing about but through that wisdom through through being in the presence of this king and watching this king delegate and be a leader he took that same knowledge right because he's watching this king obviously he's been around him he's seen how he delegates his people he sees how he runs his country and he goes and he takes those skills that he learned there into another career yeah. which was a blue collar career, which is hard labor. Oh, and yeah. he starts delegating, he starts pointing people out. He starts seeing, starts learning how to see people's strengths and weaknesses and putting them accordingly to where they go. And for me, those are some of the best leaders. I've had foremen, linemen, GS that would take their tell you, like even like, let me give you an example. I had this one lineman, right? Who later became my GF. He was a guy who they always gave the guys no one wanted on the crew. Oh, wow. They always, he would tell them, give them to me. I'll take them. Give them to me. And he would tell me like, oh, David, sometimes all you need is a body. He's like, I'll put him to work. And he'd get this guy. Cause I like, he had went through all different foremen and every foreman was like, dude, I've had it. I can't deal with this dude. And he would take him. He had a big smile. And next thing you know, that guy was jamming out. He would, yeah. this, this particular man I'm talking about had the ability to see the guy's strength. And that's where he put him. And he yeah. would tell him, go with it. If this guy could only dig holes, guess what? He was the best. And he would build them up. He'd tell him, you're the best damn hole digger there is on this, exactly. this whole company. Go do it. Do what you got to do. You know what I mean? And he would set that guy up for success versus failure versus how each and every one of us were saying, oh, this guy ain't worth the crap. You know what I mean? Or whatever, excuse my language, but you know, just saying all this stuff and passing them around. And then this, this one particular foreman would get him and be like, I'll take them. And he yeah. played into that guy's strength because he saw something. You know, it's a great uh, insight that you mm-hmm. draw out about Nehemiah mm-hmm. because he did go into a very blue collar job in the mm-hmm. sense that, the problem he was told about was that the wall around Jerusalem mm-hmm. had been torn down and it had been torn down for a long time, yeah. long time. Several generations of people had lived uh, in the environs around the wall mm-hmm. and saw it broken down. They were born, lived and died and nobody went and fixed the wall. Yeah. And the problem is in that time, you couldn't have a city without a wall. It's the only thing that protected you from attack of, of enemies. Mm-hmm. And so basically a broken down wall was a broken down city. And a broken down city was a broken down nation and all that. And so mm-hmm. Nehemiah steps in and he rallies all these people like that GF mm-hmm. that you were mentioning. He had the ability to, to pull people in to a cause and a mission because he lands in Jerusalem, rides around the, ho- around the wall on a horse for a few days, mm-hmm. kind of gets the lay of the land, literally comes back and says, all right, we're going to rebuild the wall. Uh, in 52 days, the wall was completely rebuilt. It had been sitting for decades and decades mm-hmm. with no one rebuilding it. And one strong leader, one strong leader who was not afraid to get his hands dirty and not afraid to fight mm-hmm. because their big threat was outside the city. And so there were times when there were people working. Imagine bricklayers. Imagine people laying stones on top of each other in a wall. And they had a trowel in one hand. And they were spreading the mortar between Mm -hmm. the big stones and they had a sword in their other hand and they were ready in case they got attacked. So these were not like um, flower children like these were these were like people busting it. And what was cool was around the wall, every family owned a section. So Nehemiah Mm -hmm. went to the family and said, all right, Mendonca family, you guys got this section right here. Like, I'll be back in a couple hours. Get to work. Mm-hmm. Like that's basically what he did is he assigned all these families sections in the wall. And here you are, you know, a month and a half later and the whole thing is rebuilt. 
which is awesome. It's a feat of, you know, engineering, but it's a feat of leadership. Mm-hmm. And to your point, it's a blue-collar guy just out there getting stuff done, picking things up, laying them down, and getting his job done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then just to even expand on that right there, um, I thought that was interesting that they did have a trawl in one hand and a weapon in the other. You know what I mean? That's that that's pretty amazing. You know what I mean? They the attentiveness they had to have, you know what I mean? Because, you know, obviously when you're doing anything with your hands, right, you have to be paying attention. You got to make sure it's level and, and everything else, right? You got to put that attention. In. But also to be able to have eyes in the back of your head to be able to see, okay, my attention needs to be here, but it also has to be about what's going around. Right. Your surroundings, correct? Man, the guys who, the families who were rebuilding that wall mm-hmm. had to be doing two things at basically the same time, and that was building and being ready to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to be ready. And mm-hmm. so even they, even mm-hmm. they were called into an activity that itself had its own risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't sit on the sidelines and just go, ah, I'll let somebody else build it. They had to dive in, mm-hmm. and they had all these enemies around them, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a. It was at the end of the wall being built. Uh, Nehemiah basically says, "Hey, you know, you know why this happened? This happened because God's hand of favor was on us." Mm-hmm. And that was probably the big difference between Nehemiah and a lot of other people. Is even though Nehemiah made a lot of right choices, Nehemiah took a lot of risk. Nehemiah went, and rallied the people, and had a plan, and got all the resources. Mm-hmm. He did his part, but when it worked, when it was effective. Nehemiah turned back and said, hey, the reason this all came together was because God helped mm-hmm. us get this done. It was really God here, not just us. And if we're going to lead our families well, mm-hmm. uh, I think we're going to we're going to we're going to be kidding ourselves if we think we can do it all by ourselves. Uh, I'm going to take my effort. I'm going to do my part. But even my ability to get up and take a breath into my lungs is something mm-hmm. that God's let me do today. And so I need to continually be pointing the victories in my family back to God because he needs to get the glory, not Ken Mm -hmm. Evans. No, and I can't agree with you more, Kent. Um, It's crazy because there's going to be times as fathers, and I've I've heard it. I I mean, I I deal with a lot of men out there, and you can plan, you can prepare, you can do everything right, right? Right. But our kids still at the end of the day have a choice to make and their choices aren't always going to be the greatest. And you feel completely helpless. And I, and you know, I got these men who asked me, well, what do you do? And I say, man, I pray, I pray. I have to go to somebody because I know at that point that I've done my all and all I can do is just put my faith into the one who can and see and do all. And that's Jesus Christ, man. And just put it all on him. And even though sometimes, because I have men who are like, I tried that. I prayed. I've done this. And it's like, yeah. dude, be patient. Be patient. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Okay. You know, you don't know that if your kid didn't get into this school or whatever, you don't know, you know, what's happening behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Maybe it's a blessing. Maybe that kid didn't go to that school because there's another school that God was opening up yeah. over here behind the scenes or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? We don't see. All we can do is just trust. And that's what faith is. Yeah, man. And what you realize eventually, uh, eventually, is that you, well, or you don't, I guess you Mm -hmm. you don't, you (laughs) you may, people may may go to their grave not realizing this. What you do realize eventually is that um, you don't really own your children. No. Like, like you don't, even when they're babies, like, granted, they can't live without you. Like, you know, every five month old needs to be fed, but you don't own your bait, your children. You steward them. Mm. You, you are given them for a season. It might be 18 years. It might be 20. It may be longer, but you're given your children for a season to steward and then to release them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes, uh, well, we're walking through that right now with our oldest. He's 22. He's married. Um, and we've, I mean, for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. we have released he and his wife uh, where we don't feel uh, responsible. Mm-hmm. We don't feel in control. We don't feel accountable for all of their choices. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're not. Now, what was funny is I remember telling my daughter-in-law, who's lovely, she's awesome, 
she said something about uh she said why weren't why weren't you and your wife our our pre-marriage counselors at the at the church because we got another one from one of our elders and i said what do you think we were doing for 18 years (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, he's he's your problem now he is totally (laughs) your problem now uh but we kid about it a little but there's a lot of truth in that where you just realize hey man i gotta steward them for 18 years 20 and then and then i gotta let them go Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, you got to train them up, right? In the way they should go. And hopefully that sinks in. And I think it does sink in. You know, I, I really do. Um, I heard, a, I had a past guest on here tell me that when a kid's rolling his eyes and, or her, her is rolling their eyes at you or whatever, you know, and they're saying, yeah, yeah, I got it. Just know that they did get it. It's a portion yeah. of that did sink in and don't, don't get disheartened when you think they're not listening to you because they really are. You know, it's funny. I had one of my boys tell me the other day, which, you know, this is like a double edged sword. I guess mm-hmm. I can take this as a compliment or I don't know what. Uh, so this book, uh, bring your hammer is book number three for us. And so my son said to me the other day, he goes, dad, by the way, you know, I've, I've never read any of your books mm-hmm. and we're sitting at dinner with some friends and I go, wow, I don't know what to make of that. And he goes, well, the main reason I haven't read them is because there's really nothing new in them. It's the stuff you tell me all the time. Mm. And so on one level, I'm like, well, thanks for nothing for not reading my books, you know. Uh, but on the other level, I was kind of like, well, yeah, I guess so, right? I mean, like, um, he do- he swims in this water. Whether, mm-hmm. whether it's good water or bad water isn't even the point. The point is, I don't really have anything to add. You know, like right. I've, I've kind of already poured in what I can pour in mm-hmm. um, and he's either going to catch it or he didn't. Um, and him having to read one of my books to see what I think about a topic. Probably he doesn't need to because I've probably already told him what I think about that topic. <laughs> uh, but we've been really fortunate in our in the sense of our our boys have been, um, for the most part, very responsible and responsive young men. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that w- way, we give God all the credit and the glory and. My wife and I are enjoying the fruit of some of that labor. We got kids 22 down to seven. So there's still a couple really young ones in the home. So uh, mm-hmm. we're still doing a lot of day-to-day parenting in that regard. Oh yeah, for sure. And you know, you're, you're a dad until they, until you get put in the ground, right? You're, you're going to be a yeah, dad no matter absolutely. what. Right. So that's cool that they're able to, um, to go to you and tile you stuff like that, you know, and you're able to be able to receive it. Right without getting offended or whatever, you know what I mean? Cause a lot of times I think for whatever reason, the world right now, everybody's so offended with everything, you oh, know, man. you, and it was good to see that you were able to take that compliment or not compliment, whatever you so choose it <laughs> to see it as with, <laughs> with grace, you know what I mean? And be able to see the silver lining to it is what I'm trying to say. Um, Kent, I thought it was really interesting that you said how Nehemiah, right? had placed these people according to their families. Okay. And then one of the things you said that really stood out to me was how the only way that that dynamic, that group worked is if everybody pulled their part. Yeah. Okay. And I want to go to this place with, with what you said there. Okay. A lot of times we think our job as men, is just to provide, right. To put a roof over their head, put clothes on their back and to make sure there's, there's food in their mouth, right. In their bellies. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. And when we do that, we step back and now our wives are having to carry this burden that they were never made, made to carry. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's when burnout starts to happen. You know, I, I've talked about this before on the podcast with other linemen and stuff like that, other men, and the way I relate that information to them is it's it's like a transformer bank, okay? You lose one of the transformers, now you're operating at 86.6% or 57.7%, however, however you decide to do the math, right? And you're basically going to burn that bank out yeah. because it's too much to carry. You know, you need all of the family or all the bank, complete, the 100% of the bank for it to work proper, correct? So with that being said, you know, we all have to do our part. Yeah. And well, we can't just sit back. The 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 applicability for mm-hmm. our modern day, David, in especially in America, <clears throat> mm-hmm. could not be more interesting. So for example, if you ever go look at ancient city walls, mm-hmm. 
most of them, especially like before BC, before AD, most of them were made up of uh, the the outside edges of mm-hmm. homes inside the city. Mm-hmm. So if you go look at it, it's not just that there's just a wall standing up. It's that there's this big wall, and if you come inside the wall, the mm-hmm. wall is making like the fourth wall of your house. So like the wall, the city wall is one of your house walls. Okay. And then you got two side walls and a back wall, and so a lot of the families were actually, their homes were built into the wall. They were wow. part of the wall. Well, think of the fabric of mm-hmm. a society where the protection and the defense of the city mm-hmm. is part of your family's job to keep that part of the wall. Like, wow. you can't just take your fourth wall and do whatever the heck you want with it because it's going to affect the city. Like, right. you are part of the actual fabric of the protection of the city. What's super interesting about that is look at the attacks and the trouble we've had over the last 50, 60 years in our country mm-hmm. with the family unit, yep. right? With all of the attacks from everything from, you know, uh, liberation to dads having six babies by six different moms and not being a engaged father to the gender confusion to the, the people, the fighting between men and women and just the things that have happened. That's just... That's a decades-long attack by mm-hmm. Satan on our families because, metaphorically speaking, the family unit is yeah. a critical piece of a nation's infrastructure. Yes, it is. Just like it was in 444 B.C. Mm-hmm. It's just that in 444 B.C. you could see it with stones and bricks. Now you don't see it as much because we've got roads and highways, but mm-hmm. it's so important. It's so important for dads to be engaged in their family and to be leaned into their family spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, so that we're building the fabric of a society that our kids can benefit from on down the line. And so we can honor God with our efforts in our family. Mm, mm, I like that you said that. And I agree with you about the whole family dynamic being torn down. Um, Harvard law professor, Carl Zimmerman gave a speech, right? And uh, he issued, it actually wasn't even a speech. It was a report that he had issued warning America that we're following in the steps of Rome, Greece, Egypt, Babylon, Samaria, and all the other great civilizations of the world that have fallen, right? And he went on to say that every society that becomes great does so by adopting a conservative biblical model. Doesn't matter if they were Christian or not, all became great when they had strong families and strong marriages. Every society that fell made the same seven mistakes. We are not enlightened as a society. We are doing the same in America today. And that's how you destroy a nation. You take out the family, you destroy yeah. a nation. And yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, since we're talking about spiritual stuff uh, and we're talking about walls, it brought to my memory a story I heard. Uh, one of my mentors, uh, Miguel, he's a, he's a pastor. He's a lineman. And uh, he's telling me about he had this uh, one guy he worked with, okay? And I want to share it real quick. He had this guy he worked with and Miguel had had this dream. He was like, this guy was very, something wasn't right with him. Okay. The guy was really upset. Um, He was having a hard time. And uh, Miguel had this, this, this vision, I guess you could say it was. And uh, he told the guy, he came up to the guy. He's like, Hey man, you need to do something. You need to get, make it right with your wife. And the guy's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I had this dream. He's like, what was the dream? He's like, I had this dream that you and your son were in this house and you were so focused on the front door and this house was being overran. He's like, you were focused on the front door and all these things were coming in the side doors. They're coming in through the vents. They're coming in through the roof, all these different areas that you had let, left open to your family, wow. but you're focused on that front door. He's like, you need to deal with your wife. The guy's like, whatever. I don't, you know, guy blew it off. Two weeks later, a guy was gone. And Miguel was like, oh, where'd he go? He's like, he's at a funeral. And he's like, what do you mean he's at a funeral? And he's like, "Uh, yeah, the guy's wife committed suicide. Oh, wow. Yeah. So needless to say, the guy came to Miguel and he's just in tears, torn up. Right. And he's like, my gosh, he's like, I should have took your warning. He's like, I should have took your warning. He's like, I was totally so focused on work, 
and trying to provide and trying to do all these different things, I couldn't even see that my own wife was struggling, mm. that she was hurting. And I couldn't meet that need for her. He's like, I was too focused on trying to create a life that right. she would be happy in versus seeing what was making her unhappy. Mm. And that blew me away when he told me that story. So, you know, we talk about walls, how our job, right is for that protection you know walls offer protection yeah. and they keep things out you know we yeah. are the gatekeeper just kind of like in the book of nehemiah when he built up that wall i kept the sure. enemy out right and as as men as fathers as husbands our job is to keep those things out and to build up those areas where things can't come in yeah. you know that are well, detrimental imagine, to our family uh, imagine you know that example is so stark and so sad to hear the story about miguel and the guy that he worked with mm -hmm. um imagine if if you were taking a ride today mm -hmm. if if uh, metaphorically speaking if we put you on a horse and you rode around your family's house and i know that may sound weird or mm -hmm. you live in an apartment you live in a condo whatever uh if you were riding around it where would you see the weakest spots where would you see the weakest spots mm -hmm. are the weak are the weakest spots relationships inside the home Do, are those what need need to be worked on are the weakest spots financially you're way out over the edge of your skis and debt or whatever the issues are financially are the weakest spots um communication mm. are the weakest spots your health are you are you grossly overweight are you are you you know are you in a preventable health issue that that you could come back to and 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 address are the weakest spots the influences on your children their friends mm. technology people who have their mind or their eyes um what are the weakest spots? And and often, like the example you gave of that that gentleman whose wife passed away, sometimes we we just don't take a moment to, to kind of drive around our house, metaphorically mm -hmm. speaking, and and look at the different spots and go, no, you know what? The uh, the financial part of the wall is actually pretty strong right now, but boy, this this relational part is all rat, you know, broken down, and there's bricks everywhere. I'm mm -hmm. gonna work on that relational part for a while, um, and I think it takes a lot of courage sometimes to do that. To drive around and say man i'm going to be really honest with with myself with maybe my wife or with a friend about where my family's wall needs to be strengthened mm -hmm. um, if more dads did that probably we'd have fewer stories like the one that you shared oh for sure especially getting together with your spouse you know that's your helper you know god didn't take eve from your head or he didn't take her from your feet below you right he took her right from your side and that's because she's your equal. She's your helper, you know, and for so many men, I don't think sometimes we look at our wives that way. I know I didn't. Um, she would give me advice and I wouldn't take it. I would go and get <laughs> advice from all my friends, you know, and she would get so upset. And then one day she had an epiphany, right? She said that she went before the Lord and she was really upset. She's like, how come I can give him the advice and he will not receive it? She was really upset about it, right? She's like, he has to go and talk to all his friends. And then the same thing I told him, he receives it from them. And he's like, oh, like it's the first time he's ever heard it, <laughs> right? Well, the epiphany that she had was that she got this thought that said to her, you know, the only reason he was able to receive it from his friends is because you planted that seed and it had to grow. Ooh. Nice. And that that changed her perspective, right? It changed her heart towards me. Mm. You know, so keep in mind, guys, when you're out there, you know, I know it sounds like nagging sometimes. I know it, uh, whatever it may be. But our spouse is there to see. I mean, they see a different perspective than us. Sure. You know, I had a friend and, of mine. I had a friend of mine recently, David, who was asking me about a career move. Um, mm -hmm. and he was kind of weighing some options. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my first question to him was, what does your wife think? Yep. Uh, it, it, not, and you know, for me, my wife, April is my like first line of defense in terms of wisdom. And mm -hmm. the lady's always in scripture. She's always praying. She's very, very wise and sensitive to things of God. And she listens well. And so she's one of my very first counselors. When I, when I, if I have a, a big decision to make, uh, even stuff about manhood journey or what we're doing on our podcast or books or whatever, <clears throat> she has a really good sense about mm -hmm. uh, just what God's up to. And um, even when I was leaving full-time kind of corporate work to do manhood mm -hmm. journey full-time, 
she was totally on board. She was like, man, I'm going. And I, and I hear some guys occasionally going, man, I'm going to take this big leap of faith. I mean, my wife doesn't like it, but I'm going to do it because God told me. And I'm like, man, mm. may, man, maybe, maybe, but probably not. It's probably a, mm-hmm. a flashing yellow light that you shouldn't go driving past. Uh, because, man, the unity in the home, the unity in the home is a big deal. It's mm-hmm. a really big deal. And that, that crowds your judgment as well, too. I, you know, I have a, a you know, a, some people I know, friends of ours, and um, the guy made a completely rash decision. Um, he saw that we had moved out to California and saw how God was moving in our lives and how we were able to help people out here and and just really just, you know, just taking off of what we're doing. And he's like, okay, that sounds good. I'm going to do the same thing. And I told him, I was like, be sure that that's where God's calling you. I was like, I would have never moved to California. I lived here 20 some years ago and I vowed I'd never come back. <laughs> I was like, oh, and now we're back here and I love it. And, you know, God's restoring a family. He's, he's just doing some amazing stuff out here. We're restoring hope. That's our calling is to come out here and restore hope. Okay. And I was like, also oh, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. And needless to say, he wanted to do it on his own behalf and it didn't go well. I mean, it didn't go well. I mean, it went bad like that. (laughs) And uh, he had to go before the Lord with his wife again and see where they went wrong. And at first, you know, they went through the emotions that we all get when something doesn't happen. Kind of like a kid, you know, you get upset because you didn't get your Christmas present or whatever, you know, you're let down. (laughs) And he was upset. And then he had to go before the Lord and kind of seek God on this. And God finally showed him, look, there's other stuff that's going on. You're needed here, not there. You know, and he has some work to deal with on his 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 older daughter. You know, that relationship was severed, mm. you know, a long time ago with him going on the road. And now he's having to rebuild that yeah. bridge, you know, and he wasn't going to be able to do that from California, mm. you know. So yeah. it was uh, it's pretty awesome to see how God, just like us, a father, correct our yeah. children, even though they're kicking and screaming and they really want that tour or they don't want to do this or whatever, you know, as fathers, we know what's best usually for our kids. And, you know, and that's what we got to trust in God to be able to know that, Hey man, if, just because he says no, doesn't necessarily mean it's never going to happen. It just right. means that it may not be right. Or maybe it's to protect us. Yeah. You know, I kind of think what would be really cool. I don't know if this is actually going to happen, mm-hmm. but but I think what would be interesting is when I get to heaven, if God could have me look at this big like timeline of my life mm-hmm. and he could talk me through the moments in my life <laughs> that that I thought were really great. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that was a huge blessing. And then God's going to go, oh, no, no, that's when you got really cocky. Remember that? Remember when mm-hmm. you got really arrogant? Or remember that big money you got and then you spent it on that stupid thing? So you thought the money was a blessing, but mm, not so much. And then there's going to be moments that I thought were really horrible. And, mm-hmm. and God's going to go, oh, remember that one? No, no, that's when I taught you how to be humble. Mm. That's, that was the time that I taught you how to put your wife first above because I I made it go wrong, remember? And, <laughs> and I just kind of wonder if I'll see almost like a stranger things like in the upside down like if i see this whole world that where uh a lot of the things i thought were really positive Mm -hmm. were things that led to either arrogance or independence or some kind of pride or ego and then there's probably a bunch of things i thought were negative or troubling Mm -hmm. that he's gonna go oh no 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 that's how i shaped your character Mm -hmm. that time i remember last year we had a, a really rough year with one of our sons and i was not a very uh I was often part of the problem. Like I was, uh, my anger, my anxiety, my frustration made Mm -hmm. things worse often. And at one point, my 19 year old son just very kindly, I mean, he wasn't being mean at all. He just goes, dad, I know you're trying to help, but almost everything you're doing is making it worse. Wow. And I remember thinking, okay, you know, it's like game film. You know, when you watch yourself after a game and you threw three interceptions that game, Mm -hmm. you can learn a lot from that game, right? If you're willing to watch the film, that means oh, yeah. it's maybe, it may be hard to watch. It's going to be a little rough, but you're going to go, gosh, why didn't I see that? I mean, the guy's <laughs> standing right there. I threw the ball right to him. And that was a moment with my son where I was like, all right, game film. 
man, mm-hmm. I'd thrown I'd thrown several interceptions right in a row, uh, and fortunately, he was comfortable enough to just tell me, mm-hmm. "Hey, man, Dad, no, this isn't helpful." Uh, and that was the moment where I was like, "Dang, that really kind of sucks." But but I think it was a moment where I was like, "All right, then I'm going to start just praying." How do I get out of the way? Mm-hmm. How do I stop being part of the problem? Um, and I'm not saying that's what turned it around, but it was a piece of the puzzle, right? It was mm-hmm. important that I stop being part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've gotten to where I, I don't make it as bad as often <laughs> yeah. in, that, in that case. But it was a little rough uh, to hear that, but it was also liberating at the same time. Oh, for sure. You know, and, you know, just that last podcast I did with my daughter asking her, you know, when I come and barge in her room to check on her or whatever, you know what I mean? You know, that was the first time she's ever said anything to me. And that brought great insight to me. It's like, okay, sometimes they don't, they need to process it. And when she needs my help, she'll come to me. Yeah. But I got to be ready for her to come to me for that. I remember hearing her say on that podcast, uh, she, you asked her what one of the key things that uh, teenage girls need from their dads. And Mm -hmm. she just said the, their presence. Yep. They just need to be there. Uh, be accessible. Uh, and I think sometimes we overcomplicate mm-hmm. fatherhood um, and we try to get every single little piece of it exactly right. Sometimes it's just a matter of being around. Yeah. Yeah. Our presence, definitely. Well, Kent, thank you so much for coming on here, brother. I appreciate you. I appreciate you being able to share this new book. And guys, if you're out there, we'll have it on the link, Kent. Uh, but how can they reach you? Yeah, they can, they can snag that. a couple things. They can go to manhoodjourney.org, mm-hmm. manhoodjourney.org, and we got all kinds of free stuff. We got newsletters. We got downloads. We got ways to help you be a godly dad. If you want to come snag them, uh, you can tune in to our podcast at Father on Purpose Podcast, but uh, you can find that on all the podcast outlets, and you can go snag the book, Bring Your Hammer, on Amazon. Uh, but David, thank you so much for letting me uh, come on your show. I love any conversation you and I have ever had, both whether it's on air or off, you're a, you're a really godly dad and you're an example for a lot of men. And I pray that you can keep up the good work and I pray that you are protected and given wisdom and peace and grace. Thanks for doing what you're doing, brother. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you too, brother. And I, uh, I received that and uh, thank you and God bless you and your family and continue doing what you're doing. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks brother. Thank you.